0: Odsert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay respect to Elders, past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast. (laughs) Welcome to the OSCERT Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host Anthony Caruana, and for this episode I'm joined by Chris Gatford. Chris is a well-known cybersecurity specialist who's worked with clients all over the world delivering security assessments, attack and penetration testing, as well as leading extreme ethical hacking courses for cybersecurity professionals. We'll then get an update from my co-host Beck and OSCERT's Mike Home about how they've helped members recently following revelations of an Apache vulnerability. They'll also talk about what they're seeing in the local cybersecurity scene and have a look at events and training that OSSIRT will be offering in the coming weeks. We look forward to bringing you the best of the Australian cybersecurity industry with fascinating insights, great stories from the field and lessons you can take back to your workplace to better protect your organization's critical assets. Hi Chris, thanks for being with us today on the show. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, IO, and how you got into
1: cyber? Yeah, thanks Anthony. Great to be here. So, well, I... I've been in this for 20 years now, and I have to say, you know, when I look back on how I got into it, I was one of those kids that would, you know, take his toys apart, put them to back together, and, you know, have bits left over and repurpose them, often to torment my sister. And, you know, that kind of thinking needed an outlet. Later on when I discovered IT... I, I sort of, you know, I got into that part. And then when I, in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, I started sort of getting involved in a couple of the security tools that were coming out. And one of my favorite ones was called WinNuke back in the day. Do you remember that one? I've heard it, yeah. So you could you could run this tool in the 90s and you could like just blue screen any Windows device. It was awesome. And uh, and they really got me into thinking. And so that creative outlet or the out-of-the-box thinking and repurposing stuff, that's kind of how I, I guess I found myself in IT security. And... I actually read a book, It's one of the first books, it was called Corporate Espionage by Ira Winkler, who did this kind of work for the NSA, I it was so cool, and then eventually I found a path and, and, and saw an opportunity to get into security testing, and that was uh, in the early 2000s.
0: You do red teaming, you do pen testing, you've had mm-hmm. a background in doing all these kinds of things, you know, what are some of the good stories you've seen out in the field, what are some of the things you've discovered in red teaming or in pen testing, you've you, You slap yourself on the head and go, how did they do that?
1: Ah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of interesting, especially in the red teaming and social engineering portions of testing over the years. We've seen everything from, you know, just blatantly bad security controls. There was one time a guard was you know, was tasked with telling everybody who used this new, this pin code on a door, which was public facing this door, but slightly obscured and it was critical infrastructure. And he was tasked with communicating the new pin code to the users of this door. So he printed it out and stuck it on the door with tape so the people coming to the door could see the new code and just enter it into the code below.
0: And so he didn't have to <clears throat> actually talk to the humans. He could just put it up there and he could sit back and have a nap and take smoke out whenever he felt like it. It
1: was just this casual attitude. And it was critical infrastructure. This particular area uh, was power generation. And, you know, eventually we were walking around the organization. Obviously, we got a lot of access that day, but... You know, those types of things just play out time and time again.
0: You, you kind of always get back to the, the, the heart of almost every breach or every attack is someone doing something a little bit goofy or, you know, being mm. duped in some way. I mean, you always get back to that human side, don't
1: you? You do. And if you, if you think about security vulnerabilities, obviously there's a technical component, but often they can always be brought back to a human element. And, and so, you know, where they, the gap often is in most organizations' testing plan is that they, they test the IT. If they're doing a good job on, on security, they're testing IT quite well, but they often forget to test the people side and the physical side. And this blend, this sort of intersection of where those three areas join is, is kind of where organizations do need to focus because that's often the biggest impact. So is that one of the things you focused on when you
0: did your, like you did a pen testing special with SBS recently? Is that one of the things you kind of talked about with them?
1: Yeah, so that was very interesting. So SBS were very interested in sort of seeing this like actually live. And so we had the the challenging part of the logistics of, okay, well, how are we going to let a film crew film (laughs) us doing this work on a client? And, and actually share this. They came along for the ride and I was wearing, I was wearing about four cameras. <laughs> so is this look like a bit, a bit like the movie Sneakers and you were, were you with the Robert Redford? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I'm starting to feel like Robert Redford, <laughs> but it was very much like that. But for those of you who haven't seen the movie Sneakers, great movie. Yeah. It's um, one of the
0: best hack movies out, not it? Isn't it? It's, it's awesome. Way better than Sandra Bullock in the
1: Net. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think the, the, uh, the thing about Sneakers, right? All of those techniques in Sneakers, which was actually made in the mid nineties, still work to this day. You know, they're absolutely classics, right? And those psychological principles apply, you know, for everything. Um, So with the SBS stuff, uh, that was fun. So we, uh, you know, we, we, in that particular instance, we came into the organization. We were there to assist with their IT security. Most users are always very keen to have their IT security problems resolved. We convinced them to let us take the system away. And then we came back and we used the the system itself to be able to remote access back into the organization. So it was pretty successful. You talked
0: about that overlap between systems, people and physical security. Mm -hmm. And you talked a bit about how there was the gap. And I mean, you know, that security guard pasting the, you know, the pin code du jour on the wall with some tape and a piece of paper. You know, that's... That's almost one of those, that's a classic kind of thing that you see often. You know, that's up there with the, I've got, everyone says use a really complex password. So I'm going to have one, but I'm putting it on a post-it note. I've stuck to my monitor so I don't lose it or something like that. You now, what do, what are some of the other things that you've kind of seen in that, in that realm? You know, that, I mean, there's things like that. That's a really obvious one. You walk up mm. and you see someone with a password written down. You go, well, don't be a fool.
1: But... What are some of the, you know, ones that people perhaps go, I didn't even think that that could be a problem. There's all these disparate pieces of information and people often sort of disregard them. And one of the funnier ones that we like to do that has a massive impact is when we're, you know, inside the organization, we will take the shredding bin outside of the executive's office because it has the most sensitive information. And there was this one time... We, we were doing the exercise and I, I got the shredding bin and I, I was interstate and I wheeled it outside. And I'm like, where am I going to go now? <laughs> so I walked next door with a shredding bin, checked into a motel, not a bat of an eyelid. I'm sitting at reception, checking in, getting my keys issued with a blue shredding bin with a company logo on the side. It was uh, it was very funny. So was there anything good in the bin? Oh, Excellent. I mean, when you take something like that outside the executive's office, it had a list of, it literally said, list of critical systems. It was a printout. So did you have
0: to like get the strips and put them together? No,
1: it wasn't even shredded.
0: Oh, so it was just in the disposal being ready to be taken to the shredder. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Yeah. And those locks, by the way, those locks are like $3 locks. So they obviously come off very easily. Yeah. Uh, And then most of those brands actually have one key for every shredding bin. Yeah. (laughs) in the country so it's crazy and so yes yeah, so we, we took that out and then so opened up the lid took out the sense information we got post-it notes because the executives are most renowned yeah. for writing down their passwords so yeah over the years you, you get to see some really cool spots
0: People use social engineering for all sorts of different types of attacks and obviously on your side of the thing to, to find all sorts of vulnerabilities. And What are some of the ones you're seeing out there? Like we've seen people do fake recruitment scams and fake job ads and all that
1: kind of stuff. Is that stuff still kind of prevalent out there? You know, unfortunately, you know, the stuff that's coming across the desk now is more the stuff where, you know, the criminal is making real money and that has to be business email compromise. It has become such a business for the criminal enterprise now. I mean, we're dealing with just this week, I think we've got like two incidents on the go. You know, unfortunately, one organization, only a small organization, they were a victim to this and their supplier accidentally paid, you know, $1.8 million to the wrong entity.
0: Oh my gosh. Mm. So for an SMB, I mean, that's that's game over almost,
1: isn't it? You'd think so. It's, uh, that'd be very hard to recover from. So.
0: People talk about having cyber insurance and things like that, but, but most SMBs don't think of having cyber insurance or having mm. some sort of protective measure against that, do they?
1: Cyber insurance is becoming a bit more popular, but I don't think it's been largely tested enough to work out, like, is it actually going to help us fix the business hole that just occurred you no know, I don't it's know. just
0: can i get my 1.8 back
1: yeah and the, the 1.8 is interesting that money you know went overseas it's in a hong kong bank account you know the people that paid it saying well we got an email and you know that particular organization was compromised and then the email went out to the, the people who paid the bill but the people who paid the bill didn't check to see if they were sending it to the right amount so who's at fault it's a mm. really difficult one to work out so it's one of the problems and
0: i've, I've got some personal experience about this one but is it's one of the problems that people trust email
1: way too much. Absolutely. And this is the other thing like, most people don't know. And when we're delivering security awareness training for an organization, we really hit this home. Anyone can send an email from anyone else's persona including the email address. Now, if the victim replies, they may not get the response, depending on how they've structured the attack, but most people don't realize anyone can fake an email.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just changing the name in your email client and the, re- and the reply address effectively for True. a lot of people.
1: Yeah, absolutely, as simple as that, but you can also fake the sending address as well, so you can mm-hmm. put in any email address that you want. Now, depending on that organization's domain name, the one that you're impersonating, depending on what mail settings that they have, whether it's what's called DCAM or DMARC or enabled on that particular organization, is whether that's successful or not. And most people don't implement those security controls because they're hard. What it boils down to <clears throat> is when you talk about red teaming and pen
0: testing and these things is what you're doing is actually exploiting a trust relationship or an assumption of trust, I guess. Mm. you when know, pe- people assume email is safe. People assume that the app that they've gone and bought or the service they've gone and bought or the box they've gone and bought has been hardened or has been security tested by the vendor or the supplier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we trust technology religiously, don't we, as a society?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. You know, we're seeing this law case at the moment between Epic and Apple Mm. and they're pointing to all the times that Apple let dodgy apps into the App Store and I note that you know, the two of us are sitting here with iOS devices in front of us and we're kind of in the security biz, yeah. but yet we're, we're implicitly trusting all that infrastructure and those apps and the hardware and all that mm. stuff, aren't we?
1: We are. And, you know, when you think about where our trust lies, it's not just with the devices, it's with the carriers, you know, mm. it's with the service providers, the internet service providers. I mean, everybody has access to a lot of this data. We rely on all those people and there's a lot now. We rely on all of them to do a good job through the entire chain. That, and that's hard. So let's talk a
0: bit about, you know, most, com- most organizations have some kind of, you know, security response program or some kind of security strategy. I mean, it might be in someone's head mm. or it might be written down in, in a leather-embossed binder <laughs> somewhere hiding on, on a shelf in some archivist room somewhere. Yeah. But, you know, most people have at least thought about it. I mean, they've gone at least as far as thinking about, well, I better install some endpoint security software on, some end- on my endpoints or something like that. Uh, where, where do you kind of see the nature of those kinds of plans and strategies have they evolved
1: alongside what's going on in the threat world two things if an organization has one you know they, they took a template they might have done a bit of work on it appra changed regulations recently for financial institutions and so there's a bit more rigor in the financial space but to be honest most organizations still don't really have a decent one i mean i the the amount of the amount of organisations that come to us who don't have a plan is is, is pretty extensive.
0: So did, when you do that and you come in and you and you do a red teaming exercise on them or mm. you do you know some sort of pen test or some other kind of incursion based test of how robust their policies and systems are, mm. is that a thing that you go well? The reason we got in was because you didn't have a plan for us not to get in. Is that kind of part one of the lessons that they learn?
1: You know, you're always going to get in. Right. Like if, if your if your focus is to get in, you, you know, as the provider, you're always going to get in. This is what degree of success that you have. Mm. <clears throat> most organizations' ability to detect attacks is still quite poor in Australia. You know, most organisations don't don't have a scene, for example, so they don't even know often that they've had an incident. And then one of one of the fav- my favorite exercises actually is to do, you know, an incident response walkthrough with all the execs. HR comms people, the lawyer, the corporate lawyer, and going through these common scenarios and actually seeing, do you have these things in place? Do you know what to do? Are you, you know, one of the scenarios I always like doing, and you appreciate this, is like, okay, let's just hit the Sydney Morning Herald. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that when those stories hit the
0: media, that is sometimes the first time you knew it even happened because it's a supplier or a customer that's gone out and said, oh my business partners, you know, that partner organization has been pinged and we've become the victim. And that's how you find out you've been pinged in some way for a lot of organizations, isn't it?
1: I know, and, that, and that's a terrible way to find out. And you can imagine the pressure cooker that suddenly ensues because that's like, you know, people want to know, you know is my data safe? What, what's happening? Are you guys able to process your transactions? What's gonna happen? Yeah. And so that's a lot of pressure on the exec team. And it always happens on a Friday night.
0: <laughs> Isn't that it funny? It's almost like people plan it that way. So tell me, what are some of the big things that you're seeing out there today in terms of on the threat landscape? And what, what can Red Team
1: actually do about it? It's the same old problem, to be quite frank. You know, people really don't consider testing their systems. They don't test their third parties. And if you really need to look at all your data and understand where is it, you know, who has access to it? If they're connecting to the environment, like where can they get access to it from? I still see that people don't really consider... Testing right across the environment, and one thing I actually suggested to a federal minister the other day was like, it "Would be great, you know, if if we, if we could have sort of like a, you know, a, a tax deduction on corporate company tax if you could prove your cybersecurity health." And I think nothing proves cybersecurity health than a great exercise, and that is testing all of those areas uh, and touching on all of those touch points.
0: Well, that's interesting when you talk about a tax deduction. If you think about the converse side of that, which is the bad guys, the, the bad guys are financially, the, the vast majority, we're talking about financial crime of some yeah. description. Mm. So they're out there. It's either ransomware to get money, mm. extortionware to get money, business email compromise to get money. Yep. I mean, the common factor here is money. Yes. Um. So if you can incent, financially incentivize people to not lose their money, mm. you know, Is that does that need to be a piece of it?
1: I, I, I reckon it could be. I mean, look, you know, those organized crime groups that are focusing on those task areas that you just mentioned there, I mean, they're, they're doing great. You know, they've got a great business model. <laughs> yeah, you're
0: even. saying we're maybe on the wrong side of the fence <laughs> here
1: <today. laughs> You know, it's funny. You only see the amount of money that's getting made. But, of course, you know, jail never appeals. So,
0: yeah. 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 The risk-reward. It's, it's all about the risk-reward equation, yeah, isn't it? Through your career in over 20 years in cyber, you've hired and you know, probably fired a few people along the way, but certainly hired a lot of people mm. at different stages of their careers. Mm. What's some of the advice you'd give to someone who's looking to come into the world of cyber?
1: You know, it's a great time to get into cyber. You know, there are so many facets now. You know, like before you had to be, you know, a jack of all trades. Now you can really focus on a particular area in cyber. And there are some really interesting ones. My advice is, you know, don't be shy, you know, jump in. This is a really accepting community and the community at Infosec, we we do like to share information. We do like to try and help, you know, our peers out. And I'm quite heartened by the community we have in Australia. So jump in. You know, get yourself involved. I wish I'd got myself more involved earlier, to be honest, in some regard into the community portion of our industry. And it's very much, it's a very supportive uh, Mm. place. And I think, you know, everybody appreciates that everybody else is keen to learn. And and getting in there and being involved, I think, is a a great way to try and get into cybersecurity. So things like go to events,
0: go to day of the month clubs, go to, you know... um, B sides where they have them in different
1: cities. There's yep. all those,
0: those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. So going to the, the meetups, they're quite good for those of you who aren't familiar with some of the, the what we would typically call the hacker cons. Yeah. So going to the B side sessions, going to other sec talks as well that are a monthly thing, even some of the online forums now, there's quite some good, healthy chats occurring on the online forums whereas discord and Slack channels that have opened up. There's also some organized capture the flag events. And Capture Flag, if you're not familiar with those, they're a online challenge scenario mm. where you're trying to break into various systems. And, and some of those are designed, actually, for people who've never done them before. Okay. That's so, really encouraging. Mm, yeah, some of those great things. And I've also seen the the cybersecurity clubs within universities getting very active recently as well. So that's great to see.
0: Well, thanks very much for that, Chris. It's been great. Thank you're you. You're welcome.
1: You're welcome. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Now it's over to the team from Osset. OzCert's business director Beck Cheb and Mike Home will tell us about some of the exciting developments coming from everyone's favourite Cert.
2: Thanks, Anthony. We're very excited to be back for another podcast episode, and thank you also to Chris Gaffin. He's a long-term friend of OzCert. We've worked with Chris for many years, and yeah, really pleased that he could take some time to talk to Anthony. So, I'm once again, join with Mike, senior manager of Ossert. Thanks for joining me.
3: Hello, Beck. It's lovely to be here.
2: I can't believe another month has gone by. I feel like we blink and these happen again, but it's great to have... Christmas
3: before we nod. Oh gosh, now (laughs) you're scaring
2: me. So I thought uh, we'd we'd like to revisit our last conversation about our dumpster fire notifications, which gives me such beautiful imagery. But yeah, so pleased to tell our members that We will actually um, be making them part of our MSIN family, which Mm. is great. Yes, um...
3: I think the dumpster fire notification name didn't quite resonate with everybody. So we'll leave that as the internal project name perhaps and move on from there.
2: But I guess the great part for our members is that it's really based on their domains, their IPs. So they're targeted at their information. That's
3: exactly right. And that's why it's so important that we know what your domains and IPs are so that we can do these searches when these things
2: come. And very timely. More of those came out uh, this week for the Mm. new um, Apache Vulnerability. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, that
3: was uh, Wednesday morning, and it actually started before any of us were awake because we got it from some of the contacts that we have through APCERT, which is the Asia-Pacific CERT team's collective in, in this corner of the world. And that came through to our international liaison and operations manager, Jeff, and the first thing he did, of course, when he saw it was say, hey team, there's this new vulnerability. And they looked at it and they went, mm, this is another one of those externally facing things that you can actually search for. And those of you that are technically, you would have come across the Shodan search engine. That's how we did it this time and we were able to identify based on a search and showed and knowing our members' domains and IPs, we were able to figure out anyone that might potentially be vulnerable to that. Now, it turned out out of the 600 odd members that we've got, there are only 26 that showed a vulnerability to that particular Apache problem. It doesn't necessarily mean there weren't more, but you know, that's the nature of IT. But at least those 26 members got a notice Round about, I think it was about quarter to 10 on um, standard time. Unfortunately, Queensland's not on daylight time. That's another rant I'll have with you another time.
2: So yeah, those went out around about then. Fantastic. So what I'd really love to add there, and I think one of the things that we don't really um, shout loud enough is the benefit of, of your membership is that that bulletin came out first thing in the morning. Yes, we followed through with those members. You know, it happened within a few hours of being notified about that vulnerability. And I'm still seeing. You know, we're we're two days down the track, and I'm still seeing people alert. This yep. is new, and I'm like, yeah, we, that's old. That's yeah, old we, news we to us. So, you know, rest assured that that's one of our our actual advantages. That also is yeah. is that timeliness. It's yeah. like it's it's new. It's fresh here. Get it out that's to right. the members as quick as possible. Comes down
3: to a passionate team of analysts, I reckon. Plus those contacts we've got to tip us off if we don't see it ourselves.
2: Awesome. Okay, the next thing that I'm excited and I'm, this is something that I've been working on in the background mm. and with you, Mike, is uh, a new area of data governance advisory and training. So can you tell us a bit about why yeah. we're going down this avenue?
3: Yeah, this is this is one of those things where everyone always says people process technology, but we jump straight to the technology thing sometimes. We've actually taken a step back based on a few conversations we've had with our members and we're looking at the people process angle here. If you don't know your assets, so I mean anyone that's done any cybersecurity training, you know that know your assets is gonna be one of the first things that you, you get told. So if you don't actually know what data you've got, what you're trying to protect, how you're gonna do it. So really you need to have a structure around that. Now, some small businesses, you may not have too much of a data storage problem or opportunity, we don't like to call them problems. <laughs> but look, most of us do, most of us have a lot of data, there's a lot of compliance regulations around it these days. And unless you've got a structure around that following some kind of industry best practice, then you, know, you can run into trouble. One of the examples of that, I'll just you know open the kimono a little bit and talk about some of the things that we've done here. An example is, well, coming back to those IMSINs, back, we were talking about before, we've obviously got a treasure trove of data there. And, you know, do you keep that forever? Do you keep it for a month? I mean, it's a snapshot in time of vulnerabilities or, or indicators of compromise. So you have to have some kind of structure around that. So, you know, ages ago, we went down that path and we, we did that. We actually did some data governance work. So we've realised that our members are also facing these problems as well. And they've talked to you about this. They've talked to me about this. What I was really thrilled to see, though, is you've jumped on the bandwagon and we now have, wait for it, we have tabletops. We do, yeah. So uh, that, Sorry, uh, data governance. What am I talking about?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing too many new things, obviously. We've got quite confused. But it's great. So, look, a really important part that i'd like to dwell on there is that we will be doing another survey in the newsletter which will go out next week to our members so help us shape that service what do you need Mm. what would you expect out of it but the great part is you know we've got our wonderful not-for-profit consulting rates that we like to pass on to our friends so you know we we really are excited to be able to help people make that connection between data governance and cybersecurity. totally and, and really tackle it as an overall issue and not just be focused on the technology layer yeah. all the time.
3: And I know in a lot of companies, data governance will not necessarily sit under cybersecurity. So this is potentially an opportunity for you to go out and talk to your colleagues and say, hey, OSERT's thinking of doing this again, not for profit, all that sort of stuff. So it'll be reasonably priced and maybe just sort of find out from your colleagues what they want in that space. If it's not under the cybersecurity function in your organization, we'd love to hear
2: great and i guess just touching quickly on the, your confusion with the tabletops idea that is something that we are working on too so that was our last survey that we put out in the last newsletter to members and excited we've got people running forth with that so you know mm. a pilot is about to happen that and but the the survey feedback is really important to us yes. that's how we can shape that that's how we can really make sure that we're hitting the right areas and and delivering what your expectations are so that's help right. us shape the offset services because They're yours.
3: Yeah, and those surveys we want to make them as quick and simple. Nothing, uh, nobody likes a survey that's long and difficult. So they're they're usually just a handful of questions, and you know we really appreciate hearing what you think. So please, uh, when that one goes out, answer the questions, and we'd be love to hear from you.
2: Fantastic. So one last topic, I just we really wanted to touch quickly. You know our training. We're really missing face-to-face training, I have to say. Oh, but yeah. look, Zoom is Zoom is still Name delivering. Is Personally, at Ossert, we, we don't want to kill you with the Zoom sessions. So our one-day tra- training sessions are split into two half days in the mornings when you're fresh and you've just had that first coffee. So there are dates available for October and November for both cybersecurity risk management and introductions to cybersecurity for IT professionals. So hit us up at training at if you want to know more about that and we can help you out. But I think that's that's a good wrap up for the last month and as we're gearing into the, the the last quarter of the year. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. It's
3: a pleasure. Let's see what next month brings.
2: Awesome. Thanks everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the AusCert podcast. Special thanks to our guest Chris and to the team at AusCert. We'll be back next month with new guests and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit ozcert.org.au.